Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. I had to, I think, mould my leadership a little bit. Um, I think, you know, there's still there's still plenty of challenges that, that come up and I think it's just people's perception about, you know, what can a, a young woman do and, you know, what is what is the average leader in what does the average leader in this country look like and, and that's probably not like me um, and that's okay. Those are the wise words of Tennille Gilbert. Tennille is Managing Director at Society Melbourne. Society Melbourne is a social enterprise with the vision of eliminating youth homelessness in Australia. We are big fans of Society Melbourne here at Humans of Purpose and encourage you to check out our recent episodes with Chris Mills and Levi Fernandez to learn more about their amazing organisation. Tanil and I had a great conversation here about leading in uncertain times, how the fight against youth homelessness is going and how we're approaching COVID from both an organisational and personal perspective, as well as how we're coping in lockdown. Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. As always, a big thank you to our community of supporters, including Humanism, Clyde, Susie, Kynan, Deb, Sue Kay, Carmen, Misha, Jasmine, Sue P, Joel H, Levi, Jules, Sally, Will, B, Lyndon, Olivia, Joe McCartan, Joel F and Stuart. You can become a monthly Patreon supporter today for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee at $4. Of course, you can support us at whatever level you like. We recorded this conversation a few weeks ago over Zoom mid-lockdown. Hope you enjoy the conversation with Tanil as much as I did. Mike, thank you so much. Really excited to be here. It's always nice when uh, somebody who listens to the podcast and actually knows about it is keen to come on the show. So uh, (laughs) uh, it's great to have you on. Yeah, thank you. No, it's it's very nice to listen to something and be be invited to join. I think you've been probably my most uh, regular running companion throughout this time. So oh, I'm proud. I'm <laughs> proud to wear that mantle. Very proud to be in yeah. your regular rotation. Yeah. Um, good. As we always do in Humans of Purpose, let's learn a little bit about your journey into the space. You do tremendous work at Society Melbourne. I know because Levi, your your good mate and housemate, tells me. But um, <laughs> I'd like you to take me there chronologically, um, as far back as you'd like to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think as as far back it goes is as far back as my memory really, which is just that I've always had this kind of burning desire to do something. And I often describe it as, you know, it's a bit of a fire in the belly feeling of, you know, I see what's going on in the world and I and I have always kind of noticed social injustice and gone, you know what, I can't unsee that and I really need to try and do something about that. So, you know, there's no kind of, you know, I always try and find something in my childhood or in my story that was the spark for it. But I think it's just always, always been there um, as, you know, that's been my driver. And I guess as I went through school, I, you know, volunteered and tried to do bits and pieces and always had this idea that I was going to go overseas and I was going to be, you know, working foreign aid. I was going to work for the UN and and change the world. You know, I had this, this very kind of optimistic um, outlook on the impact I could have on the world and how broad that could be. Um, and so when I finished uh, school, I went to India for six months and did a volunteering there. And I think that was a huge experience for me. I absolutely incredible um, to be in India, which is just like the most amazing country in Where the world. Whereabouts in India were you in? What sort of I was volunteering? In, I was in Varanasi. 
Beautiful. That's, um, so that's where the uh, the very famous uh, Varanasi River is, where the yeah, you know, where the Ruganti is. River. Yep. Yeah. So it's a bit of a um, insane place. It's a total assault on the senses. Um, and I was volunteering at a school um, and a hostel, and I, you know, I loved it as a you know as an eighteen year old. It was a huge um, development experience for me. But unfortunately, um, I also saw a lot of negatives with what was going on in that kind of volunteerism space, if you like, um, you know, with kind of sending, you know, white girl from, you know, Australia, from Western country, 18-year-old over to India thinking that I was going to make a difference to these um, people's lives that I was working with. And unfortunately, I just think there's a lot of issues with that system and me going into a community that's not my own and that I know nothing about. Mm. Um and did you yeah. realize that after you'd um, come back or was that a realization you had whilst over there? Yeah, I think a, a bit of both. I think while I was there, I was, I was probably quite uh, romanticizing, you know, the idea. Um, I think when I returned, I studied international studies um, and I think all those kind of uh, flaws perhaps um, of volunteerism and, and parts of foreign aid were revealed to me um and I started to feel I think actually quite guilty about what I had done as if I had you know purposely chosen to do something negative um so I really had some yeah interesting kind of clashes of, of feelings and ideas about okay well this is what I thought I was going to do with my life though you know I was going to go and um you know help people who were living in in poverty essentially and in disadvantaged situations um, and I guess, you know, from that, it really made me change my perspective to, okay, right now I'm just, I'm simply not the best person to be going into these different communities and trying to support, um, these locals. Like there's much better ways that we can be working with those locals, but that's not, that's not my job right now. And perhaps that's not my place to, to have my mark and, you know, create social change in the world. Um, so I started looking more locally. And I think that's where social enterprise really came into play. Um, I was just volunteering. I was volunteering at the Foundation for Young Australians um, and came across one Dan Poole. Um, mm-hmm. The unmistakable Dan Poole. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and it kind of changed everything for me, you know. He's this young man who has a vision, has this idea, goes, you know what? youth homelessness, not cool. I'm not okay with that happening. I'm just going to do something about it. Um, and it was a pretty simple solution at the start. It was let's make crepes, let's make a profit, let's donate some money. Um, but it was effective and it made, I think, everyone who was involved, which ended up being a lot of people really quickly, um, just because of, you know, the strength of the vision and the, and the strength of the community we were, we were rallying. Um, it made people just feel like they could be a part of something. And I think that's kind of what I was searching for. Um, and and that's what I found, that this is maybe where I can do something in this in this local community um, with young people who haven't had the same, um, you know, opportunities in life essentially that I have and that's not, that's not fair to me. So I'm going to try and do what I can to change that. And it's interesting because you talk a bit about vision there and um, someone who's seeking a really strong vision would probably naturally gravitate to their um, not-for-profit or social enterprise sector. How do you think, yeah. um, what, what was great about the Society Melbourne approach versus some of the other uh, ones out there? What captivated you? Yeah, um, I think kind of as I touched on, it was it was the young people thing. You know, it was um, Dan, who I think was 21 at the time, his brother Liam, who was 18, I was about 20, um, Levi came on board as well, same age as me. And we were all kind of just these young people. And I think 
we had all been used to the narrative of you can't do anything just yet. You know, it's great that you want to do do something, but not just yet. It's not your time. Um, and feeling like that was kind of eating away at us a little bit and going, no, you know what? Like, we're just going to do something. And, you know, just that kind of movement feeling, I guess it was, you know, rather than um, just an organisation, it was like, you know, we're going to get a lot of people together and we're going to all be a part of this change. So I think, yeah, it was pretty incredible. And of course, yeah, I think the vision is really interesting because at that time, you know, we didn't have a food truck, we didn't have a cafe, we didn't have trainees, we didn't know who we were going to be working with. We had none of this. Um, so yeah, there was a little bit of magic, obviously, and just the in just the way it was being kind of organically created that drew me in. And so that was a very positive experience being part of that. And now you've stayed and now you're managing director. Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey. And I think um there's I never imagined we get to this point. I think when we started, we were we were volunteers and we were so strong on the idea of of being um we're kind of being, you know, run by volunteers completely that we never even thought about what would it look like to be paid. And I think we, what would it look like for this to be our, our full-time jobs where we actually have this organisation that's that's sustainable um, and that is, you know, able to continue to create change year after year. Um, I had two questions sort of stemming yeah. off from that. Sorry to cut you off. The first no. one would be like, what's that like kind of starting something like this with friends? And then w- what is the point at which you know this is this could be the thing? Yeah. <laughs> I think the point at which you know it can be the thing um, is when someone like Levi goes, let's just give it a go. And it really was, you know, Levi as a as someone who is just really driven, who kind of sits and thinks and thinks and thinks and then comes out with these incredible ideas. And I am a bit more of a probably, you know, I'm the one who sits behind the risk matrix and makes sure that we're doing all <laughs> the right things. Um, so for me, it wasn't really something that had ever floated in my head until, um, you know, Levi kind of said, let's just do it. Like, let's just give it a go. And Dan said, yeah, cool. I'm in. And I was like, oh, all right, yep, I'm into it. It was almost like I don't want to miss this opportunity. Like, let's see how we can do it. Um, and we didn't nearly have the momentum behind us then that we do now. So it was kind of just betting on the fact that, you know, we believed in what we did. So the just do it spirit was um, fairly prevalent. I, I think um, Levi and Dan are both tremendous, but my favourite Levi story is the one where he's at that conference and he takes a plate of food up to the table just to yeah. sort of talk to somebody who wasn't speaking to anyone else and turns out to yeah. be one of your big funders after the conversation. <laughs> I just that, that to me just sums up the, the Levi magic of the, the magic of going out into the wilderness uh, with, you know, just an open heart, big ideas, some bravery and just uh, communicating. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. it's huge. And it's so, I mean, I think we we complement each other a lot in that. And I'm very, very glad to have someone like him who will kind of just, you know, just put himself out there and, and go for those opportunities. And so how has COVID been for you guys and what's been sort of the immediate impact and how are you dealing with it? Mm. Um, initially, honestly, it was a bit of a, uh, a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> at the very start, we were like, oh, okay, we've been going, going, going for all this time and now we've almost got permission to slow down. And I think that was a really interesting thing because, you know, there was kind of this dialogue around, around you know, you're going to hibernate or you're going to innovate and that 
hibernate was like, oh, is that a negative thing? Like, is that okay if we do that? Maybe we need to be innovating because otherwise we become irrelevant or whatever else. Um, but we kind of sat with it and we said, you know what, no, it's okay for us to kind of sit back for a bit. And, you know, we had at that point created five hospitality venues in five years. Um, we'd only had, you know, we've only now had a year of us working full time. So we'd done that off the back of volunteers. Um, and, you know, our revenue pretty much quadrupled in the last two years. And we just kind of all this growth, it was intense. And I think so to kind of pull back was really nice. It was obviously really tough, of course, on the flip side, you know, we did have to close four of our venues pretty quickly. We had to kind of, you know, reduce hours of staff and things like that. Um, but, you know, we were lucky that it didn't have a huge impact on our trainees um, in that they were all eligible for job seeker and all kind of had that support around them. And we were able to kind of keep in contact with them, communicating all the time with them and making sure that they they know we're still here. They know this isn't a, you know, oh, whoops, something happened, we're letting you go. Um, it was just, uh, you know, unfortunately this is what's happening in the world right now and we'll still be with you every step of the way. Um, but right now we can't give you, you know, the same hours of work and things like that we might have before. So it was a it was a two-sided thing, you know, from an organisation perspective, it was a, was a, it was a sigh of relief. Um, from a kind of more um, macro perspective, I guess, it was a little bit more, okay, how do we work out each of these different elements and make sure everyone is supported in this um yeah how's how's your community stepped up to support you because i know that a lot of people rallying behind their local coffee shops and whatnot have you felt some of that yeah yeah i think so it's massive um you know i think anything like this can bring out the best in people and i think we've seen a lot of really you know really good in people during this time um we definitely have people you know wanting to be yeah at the cafe come out and about wanting to kind of order meals and things like that we've had lots of people reaching out um, we had a good um, month of donations as well, um, which is nice to see people, you know, acknowledging that that's another way that they can give, even if, if they are struggling, um, which is always really heartwarming to know that there's still that support there for the community. Um, yeah. So, so, so can, people are giving, so people are sort of, you know, in a, in a difficult time where there are a mm, huge number of um, causes and people's um, income is probably shrinking, you're finding that people are reaching into their own pockets and supporting you. Yeah, that they are. And yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's absolutely incredible that, that people are still um, willing willing to do that. It's I really look for these, um, you know, I read the news, so I'm, I'm full of bad news stories, but I look for good news stories wherever possible. And it sounds like this is one of them. Yeah, no, absolutely it is. And I think, yeah, it's a, it's a time when a lot of those, um, when disadvantages are highlighted, to be honest, when people are experiencing disadvantage in our community, um, it's it's much more evident. Um, for example, at the start of the lockdown, when a lot of people were sleeping rough, were put into hotels and motels, and people went, "Oh wow, like there there is space for these um, people who have been sleeping rough to be in a secure housing." Um, so we're starting actually to see some different solutions come through as well you know, on the back of you know, a really yeah so time. maybe let's touch on that like uh, i know that where i work uh, in drug and alcohol sector that basically with the youth um the consumption and the attendance at our services has doubled um mm. basically since the start of covid what are you seeing on a youth homelessness front it's mm. a sort of covid impact yeah Look, I'm not, you know, I'm not connected directly with the day to day and the kind of, you know, those seeking emergency accommodation. But I do know from our partners that it has been a really intense time for young people. And obviously, that was that kind of that immediate, you know, drop of um, drop in employment in areas such as hospitality, of course, where a lot of young people are employed, um, which has just kind of created this kind of 
know, roll-on effect of all, you know, how do we support ourselves and how do we look after ourselves and how do we pay the rent? Um, and there's definitely, yeah, more people kind of looking for that support. And obviously, as you mentioned, you know, the drug and alcohol and the mental health um, support are some of, you know, the really well, mental health issues are some of the really big issues that um, we're seeing as well and we need to keep looking out for those young people. Yeah, I think a lot of Victorians are very concerned about uh, the prospect of um, stage four and not being able to have their sort of local coffee as their one kind of trip out of the home per day. Yeah. It's sort of lockdown limits you in certain ways to just a few things that you might do and um, one of the most common ones is just getting out for that coffee. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of my one of my daily treats for sure, getting out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so how does like um like covid throw you in a way because you were growing very quickly and you must have had some grand plans for expansion and um you know you would spend knowing um your rigor and kind of your, your thought process and your team you'd be spending a lot of time thinking about how to grow into the future what mm. happens when it when it, something you totally don't expect happens like this do all those things just go on hold and you just work on making sure everyone's safe or what happens mm. Mm. yeah it's a good question um I think initially it's that. Initially it's like, okay, how do we just make sure that this, you know, ship is not completely going to sink? Um, and I think, you know, we were able to do that really quickly and just reaching out to our team, making sure everyone was okay and going, okay, what can we keep going? And for us, that was our home on Cafe in Brunswick. That was the only thing we could keep going at the moment. Um, and that kind of kept that community connection. It kept some space for training and employment. Um, and it allowed us, you know, to keep pushing out those takeaway coffees and, you know, Keep, you know, making people's days, hopefully. Um, so we kind of went, okay, and, you know, initially what's the operation we can keep doing? Um, and then from there, of course, there, there was a real pivot in strategy. And for us, it, you know, it really meant going back to our foundations as we mentioned and going, okay, you know, what have we completely, you know, neglected? Not because we've wanted to, but because we haven't had time. And there was a bunch of things sitting there which we could just start to clean up and work through. It did mean, yeah, you know, look, I it's it's disappointing, you know, to look at our kind of projections from last year and go, mm, okay, we didn't quite meet it. Um, but, you know, it is just reality and it just means we kind of, I think we shift most of those plans just, you know, into next year or, you know, whenever lockdown might end. So it really, it hasn't changed anything too dramatically. Um, it's probably made us start to think in different ways. Um, into different industries, not uh, but into different industries to partner with. So we were kind of going down the Melbourne University route, like let's see what other universities we can get on board. Um, now we're looking, you know, maybe areas like health are going to make more sense at the moment um, because that's going to keep going. So in terms of having cafes, I mean, in those spaces. Wait, do, when you say health, do you mean like hospitals or community health centres? Yeah, yep. yeah, things like that um, that, are, that are happening at the moment. There's also things like, you know, um, construction sites and you know different things like that so trying to go okay what is kind of COVID safe you know and yeah, there's nice. only so much that is um and that's kind of the pivot we can make at the moment because we know unfortunately something like our site at Melbourne University won't be back until you know 2021 um as far as you know we know it at the moment and obviously that creates a really big gap for us so do you have some sort of heart-to-heart conversation with funders and supporters and partners as well sort of about the situation and just sort of you know projections and you know um whether there might be a point at which they're able to step in or do they kind of step up and say Mm. hey we'd we'd like to help you because this is a tough period or how does that kind Mm. of play out yeah um we had some look we've got some great funders who who came to us and said hey, how are you going and what can we do to help? And I think that's that's huge because that 
brings that conversation, you know, as you say, it, it becomes that conversation rather than that kind of power dynamic of like, oh God, we're not going to meet their requirements. What are we going to do? We actually just start to have that really honest conversation. Um, and really funders have been incredible with that over the last few months. You know, everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knows how difficult it has been. Um, so I think, you know, we've been really strong on, on that. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, we're lucky in terms of our operational costs and that a lot of our you know, for example, my salary is funded on uh, multi-year funding. Um, so we have some security there, which has meant we probably haven't been as kind of chaotic as a lot of charities in having to worry about those overheads, um, which we which might have been at risk at this time otherwise. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic to hear. It's comforting. Mm. Um, so you've also taken on a bit of uh, further study recently. So I just wanted yes. to talk to you about sort of like learning and kind of being on that sort of constant growth path or education path. Obviously, mm. there's a lot to learn being uh, the, the head of an organisation, social enterprise like Society Melbourne. But what do you kind of do for, for yourself and for your learning? Um, and tell me also about your new uh, venture, your new uh, learning horizon. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think learning for me has just been part and parcel of the job for the last few years. And I think that's actually made it hard for me to even think about any external learning because I've gone, I am literally every day I'm learning something on the job. You know, I'm learning like bookkeeping and, you know, finance and doing budgets and strategy and so many different things, um, which I'd never done before. And I guess I'm, you know, lucky that I've been able to kind of go into it with that open attitude of, you know what, I've never done this before, but I'm just going to give it a try. And my attitude there or, you know, my approach really is who can I call to get advice on this? And, you know, we're lucky to have, as we've said, like such a great community around us. We've got a great advisory council now um, who cover off a lot of those areas that I might otherwise have no idea about or no idea what I'm going into. Um, so I've always, you know, been able to just kind of reach out and kind of fill in the gaps if you like. And I think that's how we've survived all the way along to be honest you know we haven't none of us are experts at you know what we do really um we've just got the right people around us and we know the right attitude as well the right attitude helps yeah that's true that's true I think we've had a bit of that um but yeah recently I decided I think probably you know with the lockdown lull um I went hmm maybe there's a bit more to this I actually really like the business side of things as I said I studied international studies I was an art student I never in my wildest dreams thought I would study business. Um, but at the end of the day, that's actually the majority of my job. I spend most of my time running a business, um, you know, like as much as we, you know, we're not for profit and we're a social enterprise, if we can't run this a sustainable business, we won't survive. Um, so I realized that that was a really, you know, a cool thing that I had this practical experience in, but I didn't have that academic um, backing in and that I just didn't feel super confident in all the time about, you know, making those quick business decisions and was I reading that spreadsheet right or whatever else and how can I kind of, you know, just create a bit more um, foundation for myself and my education um, for, you know, myself, for my future, but also, of course, right now for Society Melbourne and making sure Society Melbourne has the best, you know, leaders that it can that's a great. Thank you. Great answer. Um, does it, does it sort of, I mean, I'm interested in how you think about management and leadership because that's a big part of running a business, particularly as a younger female, um, in, in a position of, uh, leadership, what, what's different or what have you had to overcome or do differently? Or is it just a matter of being your best self or authentic self in the role? I'm, I'm keen to see mm. your, your reflections on that. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good question. Um, I think initially it, 
I really didn't know what to do with it. I went, okay, because I am young and a female and I, and I look young, <laughs> I look younger than I am, I think, um, I often felt like, okay, I need to kind of be a bit tough and I need to kind of put myself, you know, as not this is, this is the line and you don't cross it. Um, and, you know, just to, to have a bit of a, what's the word, but a bit of a, yeah, I don't know, we'll go with tough, not, you know, not particularly empathetic and, and not particularly soft because then maybe, I think there was a fear. Maybe people will see through this um, and people will see that I actually don't know, I'm not the right person, da, 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 all these kind of, you know, these anxieties um, that come about when it comes to, you know, how do you be a leader and, and still be your genuine self? And I think I took a bit of time to really process that, what I was doing, and I realised I was totally uncomfortable with that, that I, I wasn't connecting with, you know, my team in the way that I wanted to. I wasn't connecting with people who wanted to connect with Society Melbourne in the way that I that I wanted to and that I could. Um, and I realised that, you know, really I'm a really empathetic person. That's why I am in the world of social change and, you know, in the world of non-for-profit. But I'm also very pragmatic and there's these two, I think they're kind of the two core, you know, skills or, you know, behaviours um, that I lean on as a leader now to present myself, you know, as being, I'm, I'm clean hat to, I think, mould my leadership a little bit. Um, I think, you know, there's still there's still plenty of challenges that, that come up and I think it's just people's perception about, you know, what can a, a young woman do and, you know, what is what is the average leader in, what does the average leader in this country look like? And, and that's probably not like me. Um, and that's okay. It's all like um, changing perceptions <laughs> one story at a time, I think. And uh, yeah. the figures won't flatter um, anyone, but I, I think we desperately need the change and it's refreshing, it's vibrant, and I think it suits society Melbourne so well. Mm, yeah, yeah, I hope so. I do, I do hope so. And, I, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's, it will continue, as you say, you know, we'll continue to kind of find that path and we'll continue to to grow the strength in the strength of numbers of, of young women in, in these positions. And um, because of the position you're in, do you sort of, do you have mentors or are you mentoring people or how, how does that work for you? Yeah, um, I do, I would say I do have a few different mentors, um, probably none who are kind of officially mentors, um, but I think that that's kind of just been a part of just meeting the right people along the way and going, hey, can we have coffee every now and then? Um, and that's been, yeah, super helpful. So our advisory counsellors are all mentors to me in different ways. Um, so we meet with them kind of once a quarter in and have a meeting about where we're at, but we also catch up with them regularly um, between that time to talk about the kind of more nitty-gritty issues. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I don't think that I'm a mentor mentor to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's something sometimes that. you don't know. <laughs> I doubt that. I doubt that. Hey, let me flip it to a, a slightly more like um, current question. Do you have any COVID survival tips or anything that you've been doing that's sort of been great for your well-being and helping you through this challenging time? Ah, survival tips. Um, I don't have anything really different. I think um, the routine is a really big one for me. So I'm just trying to get out of bed at a certain time, even though it's really cold and I've actually got nowhere I need to be. <laughs> um, and, you know, do some yoga and, and go for a run or a walk and, and get out of the house in that way. Um, we have reduced um, the hours we've been working during COVID, which I think has kind of, you know, supported that being working from home 
um, style, which has been nice. Um, but I think, look, it's all about, yeah, and continuing to connect with people. I think that's the really big one. And yeah, look, I don't think I've got anything, you know, outlandish, unfortunately. I think that <laughs> connecting with people is a really good one. Yeah. Are you reading anything interesting or consuming anything that's of uh, great value to you? Hmm. Um, not really. I, I read a lot of just kind of like escapist fiction, um, Mm -hmm. which is my, my bedtime trying to get me to sleep (laughs) reading. Um, I think I find it quite difficult to read, um, nonfiction sometimes just because, you know, the world is the way it is. Um, and I think sometimes you can kind of overconsume that stuff. And I think when I was younger, I really overconsumed, um, and got myself in all kinds of states and, you know, put the the weight of the world on my shoulders about all kinds of issues and wasn't really healthy for me. So I think I've kind of steered away from that. Definitely keeping up with the news though, because for whatever reason it, you know, it continues to intrigue me to to see what's going on with COVID and um, to try, you know, to see what's going on in the US with Trump and whatever else, as much as it's a shocking reality. Um, yeah, it's, it's all sort of play, entertaining. playing out like some kind of Netflix drama, but you can't yeah, look away. Sort of exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's it. You can't look away. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so what, what fiction do you, do you recommend, if any? Hmm. Um, I recently read A Little Life. I'm not sure if you've heard of that one. It's, um, I'm not very good. I have no idea about authors, so I'm going to have That's to- all right. For you, but it's um, a story about four male friends, um, and it goes kind of from their childhood up until you know their kind of late adulthood, um, and it's just a really deep and kind of full-on novel. But it explores a lot of um, interesting topics, and you know, particularly around mental health. And it does, you know, it does explore things like abuse as well. So it's it's quite intense. Um, but I think I really like other people's yeah as I said that kind of escapism but just other people's worlds um I don't really like you know uh you know science fiction and things like that I like it to be kind of you know this is this is a reality tangible realistic that's it yeah yeah Yeah. I feel you so this has been a lovely chat how can people connect with you and learn more about your work if they want to do so yeah, um, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, we also have our website, Society Melbourne, um, and, yeah, and Facebook and Instagram are all across there. And, yeah, I'm very open to chatting, I think, especially at the moment. Um, I'm, you know, got a bit more downtime um, and I'm definitely happy to kind of hear from people um, and, you know, throw ideas around and talk about collaboration and things like that especially. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Hang on a minute. We'll have a quick debrief. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.